Welcome to the Let the Stray Show, your one-stop destination for intriguing conversations with extraordinary individuals who are boldly navigating life outside the conventional norms. Our host, Scott Fullerton, is thrilled to embark on this journey of discovery with all of you. The Left a Straight Show, we believe that every person's story is unique, and it's our mission to showcase the diversity of human experiences. We bring you the untold stories of fascinating people who identify as LGBT plus and allies, pushing boundaries, breaking stereotypes, and making a positive impact in our communities. On this show, we bring you a diverse lineup of inspiring guests, from activists to artists, and entrepreneurs to entertainers, and everything in between. We dive deep into their personal journeys, discovering the pivotal moment that has shaped their lives and careers. You can expect thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of topics, from LGBTQ rights, social justice to arts, culture, mental health, and more. Our guests are change makers who share their insights, challenges, and triumphs, igniting conversation that promotes empathy, understanding, and love. So whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or an ally looking to expand your knowledge and show your support, the Left to Straight show is for you. Together, we can build bridges of understanding and acceptance, celebrating the beauty of what makes us all unique. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for the show. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to another excellent interview here on the Left of Straight Show. I'm so happy you're joining me, and I hope to share these remarkable friends that I get to speak to every single week. I'm just so lucky to talk to celebrities and personalities from entertainment, foodies, books, music, and advocacy for our LGBTQ community, and of course, our fantastic straight allies. Today, joining me in studio is Jake Monaco a maestro of melodies who has left an indelible mark on the world of film composition, both of animated and the 2D variety. Jake has worked on some amazing projects from studios like Pixar and Disney. His journey has taken him from rocking in a band during his college years to taking a deep dive into music through intensive music study programs and mentorships that led to an impressive career. He has orchestrated the musical landscapes for hit animated and other movies, from Brian Cranston and Annette Benning to my fave Ab Fab Girls to Talking Cars and Forks. So let's get into my need for some unnecessary puns and delve into the rhythm of Jake's journey, exploring all the notes that have shaped the cinematic experiences we all cherish. And welcome to the Left of Straight Show for the first time. The handsman tell of Mr. Jake Monaco, but first, let's take a look.
Alrighty guys, we are back. That was Incredible Animal Journeys, the title track from my very special guest today, Mr. Jake Monaco in the house. How you doing, sir? Very well, sir. How are you, Scott? I am doing amazing. As I said in the beginning, so many fantastic credits. Love your work. Thanks for being on the Left of Straight show. Absolutely. You make me sound like uh, like a badass. I love it. <laughs> you are a rock star, my friend. I got to know you through Brett Parker right on a couple weeks ago. You did composing for a couple of her shorts. And so I was doing research on her and she showed all the production people. And I saw that handsome face. And like any good gay does, I checked you out on Instagram real quick and saw you and your hubby and your gorgeous son there. And I got to have him on the show. So thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, I love me some Brett Parker. So I'm excited to uh, to talk about her a little bit, too. She is amazing. Well, I always start with two questions on the Left of Straight Show for my virgins here. First, I want to know a little bit about you. Tell me where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you? Absolutely. I was born in Jersey. I grew up uh, there for a little while and then moved up to southern New Hampshire, uh, followed by central New Hampshire, went to high school, went to college in Richmond, Virginia, started playing guitar, um, started a band. Uh, graduated and worked in a gay bar afterwards, which I would say was my pinnacle place to kind of come out of my shell. Um, I tended to be a little bit of a shy kid. Um, you know, okay. performing on stage during college, I think was great. And that definitely helped in the first level. But, you know, in terms of the kind of one-on-one -on -one social aspect of things, I think working in a bar was actually one of the best things in my life, you know, with the constant interaction one-on-one -on -one, with big groups, kind of putting it on in order to earn the tips. Um, so I think that was, that was really beneficial. Um, and then, uh, shortly after that, uh, decided to apply to the USC, uh, scoring, uh, for motion picture and television program. And so I got accepted and came out here in, by here, I mean, LA, uh, in 2006 and finished the program in 07. And here we are now 16, almost 17 years later. That's fantastic. Goodness. I'm the opposite. I tell everyone all the time, I'm the opposite of everybody. I was born and raised in Southern California and got banished here to Northeast Ohio. So I like your journey much better, my friend. So you're already <laughs> winning the weather wars, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got as far away from the Northeast, uh, you know, blizzards as I could. There you go. <laughs> now, my second question, as you ask, and I think you kind of answered, but we'll ask again anyway. When did you first come out to yourself and when do you kind of think you first found your LGBTQ tribe? Was that in that bar setting or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I started feeling like that towards the end of middle school, beginning of high school. But given I was in New Hampshire, I knew not a single soul who was who was LGBTQ. And so it was never talked about. And actually, in high school, when it was my like sophomore year, is when I was like, could I be gay? Like, I didn't even really realize what it was or, oh, my God, like, is that what this is? And what am I going to do at this point? I don't know anybody like that. Everybody's straight around me, like, you know, and I'm sure that probably someone ended up coming out down the road. But um, it was a it was stressful being in, you know, such a rural community. And I went to a Catholic high school with 400 people in it. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of a lot of. uh leeway to be able to come out in the way that it is now where people are so much more open to the discussion and just feel so much more welcomed into the community i think that's it's just changed 
so drastically over the last 20, 25 years. And I'm so happy for, you know, all the youth and the support and access to, um, you know, different places and people and, you know, just the support that they have to be able to come out and be who they are. Right. Definitely. I love that. And let's go with some non-work stuff. Talk about that amazing husband of yours. I love that one of your wedding songs was from Wally. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, talk about how'd you guys meet and uh, what's your guys' story? Absolutely. Um, it actually goes back to the gay bar. Um, he was bartending at one of the other three in Richmond, Virginia, uh, that was about three blocks away from me. And he was also, or is also a musical theater actor. So he was touring around with a small group. He did like educational theater programs. And so every morning, you know, they'd be going to a different school. They'd set up and they'd do, you know, a couple of shows for the students there, very community oriented. And um, his group of friends, what they loved to do on Sunday nights was come into my bar where we had karaoke. And that was probably one of my better nights at the bar. Um, got to work the floor and was always just going back and forth. And so I was like, ah, this is, this guy's kind of cute. So, um, you know, discreetly started sending him peach Cosmos, uh, which is, which was his drink of choice at the time. And, you know, eventually we started talking and, um, you know, I asked him out and he was dating somebody and had been for six years. So first thing I had to do was get rid of him. And then I was able to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> No, everything organically evolved. And uh, and we started dating. And about three weeks into dating, I was like, you know, I just need you to know at this point, I applied to this program that's in Los Angeles. And, you know, hey, if I if I get in, you want to move out with me? And if I don't get in, let's move to New York. And, you know, you can do audition for Broadway and all this other stuff. And um, I, I pulled the long straw on that one. And so we ended up moving out here together. Uh, and then we got married in 2011, uh, and shortly thereafter, in 2013, we decided to venture into the adoption process and started working with an agency. And you know, through a couple of different matches and you know things falling away, we ended up being paired with an absolutely incredible birth mother. She was six months pregnant at the time, and um, you know, we were with her kind of. The, all along the way in those last couple of months, we got to be at the hospital when our son was born. Um, such a welcoming um, family that we were able to still, to this day, be a part of. Um, so our son's name is Tommy, and uh, he actually has a half-brother from the same mother who was adopted by a set of gay parents that are in the Netherlands. And who had unfortunately a couple a couple of years later had separated from each other and then both remarried. So this past summer, Dylan and the four dads all flew over to Portland. Myself, my husband, and Tommy drove up and met them there. Their birth mother and birth grandmother also flew up there. So just such an amazing type of family reunion from all over the world. And to be able to bring bring this this group together, and Tommy and his brother Dylan are were like inseparable at that point, and they they had met once before, but this was now that they're both nine and almost twelve at the time. Um, this was really a great bonding experience for them. So just very very family oriented and just wonderful. That's an amazing story. I'm going to have to have you back on. I have some friends, a lot of friends going through surrogacy right now. So I yep. think you'd be a great, you did it kind of early on. We're going to talk about a different, a lot of different aspects. 
that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm very happy with how everything worked out, obviously. <laughs> now, I'm interested in your thoughts. Um, Tommy has a social media page. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny to see. What were your thoughts on that? Because social media and parents, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Is, are you using it as a teaching tool and kind of what to do, what to look out for? What was your thoughts when you first started doing that? Actually, he doesn't even know he has the page. Um, so I managed I like the page and, and I started it when he was very young with the, with the intent of uploading things that were more going to act as a bit of a memory for him as he gets older. And then I can hand it off to him. So, you know, there's this little starter pack, so to say, um, you know, for him to kind of, to kind of do that. I've, I've been doing that all along, um, you know, for his, for his life so far. And uh, you know, doing things like taking these slow-mo videos of just these amazing moments that go by in an instant in real life. But, you know, when something amazing happens, you just see like the light up or the gleam in the eye. And it's just like you capture those perfect moments. And I, you know, I'll take those little slow-mos and put them onto a frame that's in constant rotation in our kitchen. So there's all these things that, you know, I've tried to set up, you know, for him and for us where you just get to just view them regularly and have them more accessible as opposed to digging through a shoebox full of pictures like like we have to do. <laughs> That's how social media should be used, as a memory box. I love that. And I love that he doesn't even know about it. That is amazing. Well played you, my friend. I thank like you, that a lot. <laughs> Speaking of social media, side note, um, like I said, doing my stalking, Joe Santoni follows you from Diacapella. And uh, if you know him at all, your your job is to get him on my show in the next couple of months. <laughs> I'll send him a little message. You know, I met him. Uh, I met him a couple years ago when we did a vocal session for the Pixar show Cars on the Road. And there's a song in one of the episodes called Trucks. And, uh, you know, we so we had a session here uh, in Los Angeles and we had six amazing singers and Joe was our bass and uh, he, he brought a lot to it. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll drop him a message for you. There you go. I love Dacapella. So amazing. That's All right. Great. Well, before we kind of go into your actual individual work, let's talk about composing for film and television bit. I mean, a lot of people, the credits go by. We don't really look at them unless it's a Marvel upcoming project coming through. And we see the words um, composer. We see kind of different different aspects of what you do. Talk about what all your job entails. Um, it's a wide gambit of things. Um, honestly, writing music is probably less than half of what I do. Um, a lot of it has to do just with interfacing with the different people involved. Um, some productions like uh, this new National Geographic series, Incredible Animal Journeys, there were seven episodes that were kind of running concurrently with one another. And so each episode had a different director, had a different editor. We had a showrunner. We had an executive producer. We had two people from the studio, all of which had an opinion in some way, shape, or form on the music and wanting to be able to contribute and shape the music, which was very welcome. I love being able to have everybody's opinion, but you know, part of part of my job is to be able to navigate all of that, learn what the likes are, what the dislikes are, and try to put everything together and figure out what that happy medium is. You know, getting the direction of we don't want it to be traditional at all. Uh, but we do like strings, but we don't want synths, but we like <laughs> organic things that can be manipulated, which is great because all those puzzle pieces together 
get us to where we were and where we wound up and everybody is thrilled about it. So that's part of my job is just kind of unlocking what the key is. Uh, but, you know, I might get a cut very early on uh, with this project. I started getting cuts um, in July of 2022. I, yeah, last year. Um, and they were very early where they didn't even really know what the show was going to be. Like, they had an idea of it, but how was it narratively going to flow? How many characters were they going to have? How were they going to focus down onto these individual characters and really be able to follow them narratively? And how can the music assist in that and not just kind of blanket or set the tone, but more support the individual moments? So as they're trying to figure this out, I'm spending the time trying to find out what the sound of the series is. So by the time we get to the point where they have a final or locked cut, I get it. They've heard some of the music that I've been doing, so they're already getting kind of used to it. So I already have, I'm going to have a better batting average, you know, once we get down into the, into the time right. crunch at the end of the day. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's writing the material, it's reviewing the material, it's revising the material. And then it goes through this incredibly long process of how does it get from the computer onto the page over to Budapest, where we recorded a string orchestra back over here to have it mixed and then put into the film. Um, you know, all of which has its hurdles um, and its celebratory moments along the way. Right. I can imagine. It kind of leads directly into my next question. A lot of answers on there. I know you talked about you went into this business primarily because when you were in the band, I mean, you're kind of stuck creating everything yourself. Here you kind of have projects given to you a bit. So you you know what you're fighting for a bit. But talk about the process. I'm sure it comes at all different levels. I mean, I think one of your first projects you kind of stepped in to do some polish for, but do you start, do you usually start at the beginning of a process, the end of the process? And what is your kind of preference? Do you like a hands-on approach from other people or do you like kind of, let me show you what I can do first and then give me your tweaks. <laughs> um, so I think uh, I, I like being able to, well, first of all, let me say for songwriting when I was in college is very different than than doing what I'm doing now. Um, before I, I kind of had to make up what I wanted the song to be about, or I had to take a life experience and you know translate that into something that lyrically worked. And you know I have a lot of respect for some great singer and song singer songwriters and that they're able to do that because um, I mean it's it's it definitely takes work. Um, but coming out here, it's like the narrative of what you're doing is already there, and I just get to you know accompany that and trail with it. Um, I really like being involved as early as possible. Typically, as a production begins to edit their project, uh, whether it's the editor or a music editor that might be on board, is dropping in different pieces of what we call temp music. So it's music from other movies, other TV shows, could be anything, other songs that they're just throwing in there to see about okay, this is setting a good tone. All right, I really want to be able to accentuate this moment. Uh, we need to back off here. It needs to be very minimal and sentimental at this point. So they're kind of experimenting with what the tone is, but that we also run the risk of temp love at that point. So the director, the producers, the studio all fall in love with, you know, this amazing John Williams piece or this amazing Thomas Newman piece. And they come to me, it's like, good luck. <laughs> you know, how am I going to, how am I going to beat this? So, uh, you know, that, that can, that can be even more of a challenge down the road. So being involved early and getting to write a bunch of themes, uh, based on discussions that, you know, I've had with the creatives, uh, and getting that stuff 
into the film or the show as early as possible, they start to love what I've done. And then it's much easier to just augment that or, you know, beat myself in that respect. Um, right. So it's, I, I like being able to do that. And I think the, the interaction during the process is very important for feedback. Um, I'm, I don't tend to love when there's like micromanaging things just because, you know, I'm getting hired for a reason, just like an editor is getting hired for a reason. Um, and, you know, we're able to bring our, you know, individual creativity to it. But I, I would say 99% of the people that I've worked with all know that and they all feel the same way. And they are all part of this big team that's all leading to the creative process and the outcome. Nice. And talk about your creative process. I mean, you've been doing this so long now. Do you think in music? If someone says it's going to be a kind of a whimsical thing, oh, I'm thinking wind chimes in my head, or someone's <laughs> angry, I'm thinking the bassoon or something. I mean, do you think in music as you go through these now? A little bit, yeah. I, you know, I think it really depends on what the original um, or what our initial creative conversations are, because, you know, scores range um, from something that's purely orchestral to Maybe something that's a little bit more contemporary, small band. Is it going to be indie and quirky? Um, is it going to be a totally synth score? Is it this hybrid, organically produced type of sound? Sometimes the answer is very clear with what we want it to be. Sometimes we need to figure that out along, along the way. So um, most of the time, I end up banging my head against the wall for the first 75% of the time. And then I have some sort of anxious or nervous breakdown. And then eventually I get to something and, you know, put it together. And then it happens very, very quickly, uh, which is great. But it's just like the process of getting there is just a pain. Uh, right. then, then I'm able to kind of bring it to them and get some feedback. And then it's always easier to, you know, continue to manipulate because there might be the core of something there. And even if something doesn't work or is completely wrong, it's almost, not quite, but almost just as good because I'm learning what I should not be doing. So then I can mm. pivot in a more accurate direction. And sometimes the creatives have no idea what we want. So there is part of this experimentation in the beginning, which, you know, I also welcome because it could lead us to something that none of us would have thought of in the first part, in the first point. Yeah. Right, right. Now you've done for everything we're talking, National Geographic, you've done for feature films that we talked about earlier and in animation, of course. Is it the process still all the same? I mean, especially characters when live action characters, animated pictures, it's really you're moving the scene and not the character, right? Or talk about it, you're doing a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I mean, with, with animation, you tend to... Uh, lead the audience just a little bit more or maybe accent things a bit more uh, in traditional animation, I, just, I should say, because, you know, there, there are many different styles. But, um, you know, when you're talking a little bit more along the Disney and Pixar route of things, uh, you know, you're wanting to, to accentuate things, bring very specific attention to, you know, moments. And there tends to be more, uh, you know, hills and valleys throughout the music, so to speak. You know, there's, there's more ups and downs. Versus something that is live action, again, not saying that it can't be more, you know, hitting things, um, <laughs> but you more want to set the tone. You had mentioned um, the Brian Cranston and Net Benning film, Jerry and Marge Go Large. You know, that is very different than scoring animation, where <laughs> there are, you know, 60, 70 percent of the scenes, I was setting the tone and I was giving it pace or I was sitting back. And just, you know, being able to evoke a sentimental um, or, you know, maybe even somewhat saccharine moment. 
Um, but there are also the moments, specifically in that film, where we see the lottery going, we see the balls falling, and there's this really fun piano riff that's we're we're hitting cuts and you know we're doing the accentuation and the music and visuals are very much tied in sync to one another. So you know it definitely varies production to production. Gotcha. And talk about is there a project that you've kind of had a, a a more serious challenge that you had to overcome and what, what what was something what are some things that pop up where it's like well that's a problem how am i going to fix that <laughs> um without naming names or anything uh <laughs> you know there i i have worked i've worked on projects where the where the creatives might want to have someone come in that maybe doesn't have a lot of scoring experience but you know has just you know a great sense of musicality you know and they are absolutely an amazing artist in and of their own right, but maybe just haven't scored a film before. And so I've been brought in other times where, you know, hey, as the, you know, the composer, I'm able to help sculpt the music, shape it, and, you know, give us proper ins and outs and flowing into songs or whatever might be needed. Um, but sometimes these two parties don't necessarily agree on what should be done. And we've got, you know, the creatives wanting some of both. So now it's like, how do you, how do you balance the partnership uh, between the two music creatives as well as a director, editor, studio, or anybody else that might be involved? So that can definitely be a challenge to, to navigate certain situations. I bet. And talk about, is it, are, is it you and your team kind of working on it? I mean, you work with, animation a lot you have a gorgeous young son are you able to kind of let him listen to some of the projects and gauge his reaction to things or does the family help out ever you know it's funny i so when tommy ironically as tommy has gotten older i've worked on different productions that have actually tied more to his age group like as as he's as he's getting older he and i have watched nature documentaries since he was a kid i mean it's something that you know we all enjoy the awe the spectacle of it so landing this show incredible animal journeys was a dream because now it's like you know we get to he gets to come in and he just like stands there staring at it while i'm trying to do something he's like wow and i'm like you know it kind of catches me off guard um but earlier on when he was in preschool um i was working on preschool shows like the stinky and dirty show on um on amazon prime or uh do ray and me which is also on amazon but that's like a music theory um, type of show where you know they explored different genres of music all the way through and he would he would come in and he would watch them and he would get exposed to some of this stuff along the way and at some points I'd be like you know if I don't if I didn't think uh, I was like oh, I don't know if this joke is landing or how this is going I'm like Tommy sit on the couch watch this and uh, do you think it's funny and I mean at four years old I mean he would just be staring blankly and if I saw him smile or laugh I'm like all right got it <laughs> So I didn't nice. need, like, you know, direct verbal feedback, but it was the uh, it was the reaction that I was looking for. I love that. Well, talk to me about um, let's go into a specific project like you have a project like out. I want to go ahead and play a little snippet of that and talk about what is your creative, how the creative process was behind this or what your look into that was. OK, absolutely. All right, guys, we're talking right now to Jake Monaco, my very special guest today. He's an amazing composer, uh, does all this great work with both animated and 2D films. We're going to do a little clip from out, and we'll talk about the other side. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
So that was our fun little short for sure. Talk about how did that come to you and tell me with the project on how do you approach that? So in 2016, um, I got a call to come in and help orchestrate and um, help a short just kind of cross the finish line. Um, the, the short ended up being Piper, uh, which won an Oscar for them um, the following year it was an amazing process and my first time up to Pixar. And so the director, Alan Barilero, um, introduced me to a lot of people when I went up there for the first time. And the first two people that he introduced me to as he begins to give me a tour are Brett Parker, which started my relationship with her, which led to Through the Windows and Pete. And the second was Steve Hunter, who was, I think he was doing some animation on maybe Incredibles 2 at the at that point, or maybe it was Dory, I, I forget. But um, he took me into his office. He's like, oh, yeah, look at this. And he starts moving stuff around. And um, also, also gay. So, you know, like, we, we hit it off like that, too. And, um, and, you know, he, he's had, he has a lot of amazing ideas. And he and I just kind of stayed in touch over the following couple of years. And I was going up there to kind of work on some ad spots that they had and uh, started working on Forky Asks a Question. And I'd always either run into Steve or be like, hey, you know, you're around, I'll drop by. And so uh, eventually he was like, hey, I have this idea and it's going to start. I'm just going to start it as a co-op project, which um, similarly to Pete, where you're able to utilize Pixar's resources, but it's not being funded specifically by Pixar, um, right. but it's still endorsed. And uh, so out started out like that and then um, was kind of bumped up to what they were calling the Spark Shorts program. Um, so then these were more formally released, um, by Pixar, whether it's on Disney plus or in another outlet. So he had this idea for, for a piece and, you know, which was storyboarding it and just talking to me about it. And, um, it's like, you know, I don't really know what to do with the music. And, you know, this, this dog is very frantic running around, you know, trying to get his, his collar back, um, from his owner so that, um, you know, they could switch places and uh, if you don't know the story, I, I won't spoil everything for you. But the point is, is, there's a frantic dog trying to run around. And there, you know, there's a little bit of hilarity and hijinks in there. Um, so there needed to be something high energy. And doing something orchestral or synth or something like that just wasn't going to really, wasn't going to fly. So what I wanted to do was do a score that was all percussion. 
it was all either unpitched or it was pitched percussion um similarly to the little tube sounds that you just heard in that in the piece from out um those are called boom whackers and it's it's actually a like a music learning tool that they would put in schools and it's it's all these tubes that are of different lengths and different colors and each one has a different pitch so as you hit them together you make these little melodies boop 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 so between that and some other tube like um structures that you'd hit with a paddle similar to like blue man group um you know there was these combinations of of pitched material that i could use and then we've got you know the big drum kit and um, you know, I brought like a drum, uh, just like a tom from a drum, and I'd be hitting it while bending it, so you get some of that boop, 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 boop kind of sound. So I'm always trying to find something that's interesting, and so I like wrote a spec together for him, a little, you know, a little bit, sent it over to him. He's like, I love it. So then he drops that in, and then they start cutting up the music while they're, you know, editing things through, and you know, the music got chopped to chopped to whatever. But point is, is that the feel was working, the tone was working. They loved it from the very beginning. There was no temp that I had to beat. So it was an original idea that we were able to kind of come to together because I was invited in to start so early on the process. Um, so once I got their final cut, then I could, you know, take all that stuff, smooth it out, still be able to acknowledge the key hit points that they wanted to um, and, you know, be able to to really bring it to life. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Let's end with projects talking about Pete and Through the Windows. I mean, we have a documentary, we have an animation, both uh, LGBTQ themes for them. Talk about running those two projects. I mean, both so poignant in different ways there. I loved uh, How do you like working on projects like those where it's part of our community? I think it's a great way that I am able to contribute to these types of projects. And I think that it is... It's so wonderful that directors like Brett and Steve take the helm and aren't afraid to make a movie, to make a short, animated, live action, documentary, whatever it is. They're not afraid to do that. And they want to go for it. They want to put it out there. They have a story to tell. And, you know, they're not holding back. And I want to be able to help and support them and their vision in any way. And it's it's selfishly satisfying to be able to do that and be a part of these projects that you know whether they whether they give some kid you know a, a spin on something else and be like oh, oh it's okay or that's an amazing conversation that the mom and the son just had you know maybe my conversation will go like that too or you know just opening these doors and opening everybody's eyes um you know i i've i heard from a lot of parents uh, you know, over social media after watching out and just like how touching it was. And hey, my son, my son is 13 and just came out or, you know, different stories like that. And hearing those kind of reactions are they're really fulfilling. And I'm just I'm really blessed and happy that I'm able to contribute in the way that I have been. Uh, well, thank you for doing that and doing your part. I mean, there are two great films. Uh, we talked about, if you missed my interview with Brett Parker, be sure to check the link down below here. But uh, yeah, you did an amazing job on both those. And I love being able to uh, to showcase great LGBTQ projects like that. I want to wrap it up here. Um, I got two more questions for you. One, let's talk about, you talked earlier about once everything's done, you kind of ship it over to Belgium or wherever for the um, orchestration. But now we have so much technology going on and everything's electronic and everything. Has that been a good thing for you to have uh, these strings at the touch of a finger? Or has it been kind of 
not as much fun. You know, it's made it all more convenient for sure. Um, but there's the lack of social interaction, obviously. Um, it's very different now in the way that things, uh, not to say we weren't, you know, leading in this direction anyway, but, you know, prior to COVID, we would be doing sessions all in person. And, um, you know, I, when I built my studio out, I even was wiring it in 2019 so that I could have, you know, a guitarist in here. I could have a singer in a little booth there. I could have a drum kit and a live room over there. I even have tie lines going to my kitchen and my bathroom for putting a guitar cabinet in there or a bass cabinet or something. Um, and then all of a sudden COVID hits and every musician and player out there now is building and improving upon their studio setup at home because now composers or whomever are sending the sending their needs over to the to the player and they're doing it at home and then they're sending the stems back so now this has become a norm um and really the only times that you know big groups are getting together is um you know when you when you're doing a, a larger string group and finding a room that you know is able to do it and is the is the project a union project? Is it a non-union project? This entire thing, the production was based out of the UK. And I never met a single person live throughout the wow. course of the entire process until they invited me out to come to their rap party, at which point I got to meet everybody in person at the same time, which was it was like a homecoming for all of us. It was <laughs> it was really an amazing moment, um, you know, because I've been seeing them just in little squares for over a year at that point. Um, right. And, you know, I mean, recording, the recording technology has, is really great. I mean, we sent all this material over to Budapest. Um, we worked with a contractor over there, over there named Miklos, and he's wonderful. He got all the stuff together. You get the studio, you get the engineer, you get the conductor, you get the musicians, you get all of these things. They have their entire setup over there. All I have to do is jump on Zoom, and then they send a, a, a better type of audio um audio program that allows us to hear it and see it in time with the with the video that we're scoring to um and i'm able to give notes and they relay them momentarily later and i mean the process is very very quick and it's very impressive so it, it does impressive. make things more convenient <laughs> Jeez, i can imagine all right, let's finish up. Um, what kind of advice would you recommend to someone who feels they have a good ear for music or loves kind of creating with sounds or at their keyboard, playing a little MIDI at home and everything? What do you recommend they kind of do to, to further just their, because I'm sure there's a lot to learn as well. Yeah. What, what do you recommend for uh, expiring musicians, composers, sound mixers? Um, you know, depending on where you are at, if you are, if you're still in high school or if you're in college and willing to and able to continue, you know, the education process, there are a lot of great programs out there that are for, you know, specifically geared towards taking your already, your pre-existing musical knowledge and applying it to film scoring. Um, and I think that's a very important, that's a, that's an important aspect because a lot of these programs you have to have the basic musical knowledge and that's what they're doing is, is really giving you, you know, the application. So, you know, Columbia, I went to the USC program. I think UCLA has a program, Berkeley has a program and more and more are popping up, um, you know, all over the country and the world uh, just because this, you know, there's so many more productions that are happening now with streaming. So they need many more composers because we can't, you know, the existing composers can't fill all those gaps and which gives a lot of amazing opportunities to a lot of new composers that want to, 
that want to come and explore this profession. So, you know, depending on if, if you're going to go to one of those programs, after one of those, I would highly suggest reaching out to as many, you know, mid-level composers or more specifically composers assistants to be able to meet them and, you know, whether you're giving a resume or, you know, just keeping in contact because it's word of mouth that'll get you into a studio, whether it's an unpaid internship, whether it's a low paid assistantship, uh, you know, that's what I did. I started with another composer and I was with him starting as an assistant, but then it really was a long mentorship. I mean, the real world experience that you gain during that time is invaluable. It is giving you what to do, maybe even what not to do. And you're learning and just experiencing this stuff all along the way. So when it becomes your time, you know what to do and you might not fall on your face quite as hard as we all do at some point. <laughs> I love that. Great advice, my friend. Well, Jake Monaco, thanks for being on the Left of Straight show. We'll have to have you back a lot. I love talking, my friend. Thanks so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. I, tell you, I just love saying Jake Monaco. I'm waiting for the super international spy thriller music to come out any day now. Where can my listeners find you? You have an amazing website that shows the projects you've worked on and how to contact you if they want to get some advice or something. Let everyone know your website address and where they can find you on social media, my friend. Uh, www.jakemonaco.com. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Instagram, JT Monaco and facebook and all of the other socials I think just a little google search will get you where you need to go there you go fantastic jake monaco stay on the line for me guys fantastic interview please go ahead and share it with your friends we'll be back next week with another great interview also we're gonna have tuesday next tuesday we're gonna have jake back for special five questions with so be on the lookout for that have a great week everyone we appreciate you this is the left of straight show signing off bye-bye thank you Thanks for listening to The Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.